Praise God, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the support. We are so encouraged by it. We've had five wonderful weeks of dealing with issues that somehow and sometimes hold people back from committing themselves to Christ, understanding who He is and what He'll do for us. We've spent five weeks doing that. I want to move on from that into a more positive note, and we're going to look at Numbers and Chapter 10. I think it follows on from this terrific series that we've just been doing. Numbers chapter 10, let me remind you of the background. It says in the Bible that God took the nation of Israel out of slavery by a phenomenal miracle of deliverance. They were, they'd grown from a, a family some hundreds of years, actually, since Joseph had gone down to Egypt. Uh, and now they've become something like 2 million people, 600,000 men, women, children, and, and God did an amazing miracle uh, in and through Moses, bringing them out and rescuing them from slavery. They'd only known slavery. They were just a rabble, really. And this is one of the turning point chapters in the story of Israel, when they, they are changed from being a rabble and beginning to become an army. By the time Joshua takes over, they've become quite a force. They've become a great power. And this is one of those turning point chapters as that takes place. I won't read the whole chapter, it's far too long, but I will read one or two verses here and there. So Numbers chapter 10 and verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. Then from verse 13, so they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. The standard of the camp of the sons of Judah, according to their armies, set out first with Nashon, the son of Aminadab, over its army. Verse 17, then the tabernacle was taken down. And the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, who were carrying out the tabernacle, set out. Verse 21. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy objects. And the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Verse 25. Then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps, set out with Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, over its army. Verse 28, this was the order of the march of the sons of Israel by their armies as they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, we'll do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, I'll not come, but rather I'll go to my own land and relatives. He said, please, don't leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness. You will be as eyes for us. So it will be, if you'll go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord, three days' journey, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for the three days to seek out a resting place for them. 
And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we ask right now for the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. Let your word come alive in our hearts. Let it speak into our lives in this 21st century, this ancient story. Let it become relevant to us as we hear it together. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we have a people who've only known slavery. They've known a phenomenal deliverance from God. They've been rescued supernaturally. And they're beginning to take shape. And if we read the whole passage, well, this is the sort of chapter that preachers hate because it's full of names you can't, you can't pronounce. So you just pick out here and there the easy ones. But uh, you'll find that they're shaped up and they're carrying with them the holy objects, the ark of God, and everything that speaks of the fact that the reality of God is with them. And they're not just escaped slaves. That's where the difference really between the Bible and the kind of movies you see when uh, Moses leads the people out of slavery and that's kind of the end of it. They're not slaves anymore. That's only the beginning of it. The point is they're being taken into an inheritance. There's a land of promise, something that God has promised to them, a future, a hope, a glory that lies before them. So they're not just escaped slaves. They're a community. They're going on a journey. And as they go on this journey, they meet as it happens, Moses' father-in-law, someone that they knew, someone they're associated with earlier in Moses' life when he'd already fled Egypt as a young man. He'd married someone who wasn't part of Israel. Then he'd gone back into Israel. Now they're on their journey, and they meet this guy, and they say, won't you join us? Come with us. We'll do you good. It's a great invitation. And actually, that's where it has a parallel with us as the church of the living God, because that's what we're saying all the time to people. We're inviting you to come with us. We're inviting you to become part of the purpose of God. And it's a great, great journey because it's got a wonderful inheritance at the end of it. And so I want to just put at this, look at this uh, question, this invitation in our modern world. Just see this. It's an invitation to a journey. It's not so much come to us as come with us. You'll see from the screen here this morning, we're not just the people who meet in this place. We're on a journey that touches nations. We're on a journey that takes good news to people who haven't got good news. We are on the way. In fact, the early believers were called followers of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you out of a purposeless life. I want to take you out of drifting and not knowing what life's all about. I want to take you right out of it into something that will bless the world, bless the nations, and ends in eternal glory. A wonderful, wonderful journey. I call you to a journey. I call you to a community. Come with us. It's not a lonely pilgrimage. You're not called to just be shut away and see if you can find God for yourself. It's not come with us. Come into the community. And then it says there's a wonderful inheritance at the end, there's a glorious future. So let's look at this and let's ask it some questions. If someone said to you, uh, come with us, I guess uh, Hobab is the name of the guy. Moses comes to us, come with us. 
I think if someone said to me, knock my front door and said, come with us, I think your first question might be, who are you? Who are you? And that's a pretty good question if someone said, come with us. And it's interesting to see how Moses would have answered that because uh, it's got many parallels, again, with the church today. Come with us. Well, who are you? Well, actually, this nation, this company of former slaves, our roots go back to one guy, a man called Abraham. And you can read about it in the Bible. The Bible is one long story. And Abraham is such a key figure. God, we're told, spoke to this guy when he was a pagan. He wasn't someone seeking after God. It says suddenly the God of glory appeared to this man and made him a promise. He said, I will bless you. And through your seed, through your descendants, I will bless all the families of the earth. That was God's plan. God, full of mercy, wanted to bless the whole world. And the way he did it was to come to one person, make them this tremendous promise. And it's wonderful to read the story of Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God. He entered into a covenant relationship with God. God said, I will bless you. I will bless those who follow after you. I will bless all the nations ultimately through this process. And Abraham believed God. So when Abraham became right with God, in the same moment, he had kind of world vision. That's a wonderful thing about becoming a Christian. It's not just some little private deal. It's not just certain little stuff of do's and don'ts. It's getting caught up with what God is doing in the world to reach the ends of the earth. Getting caught up in a great program. And that's how the Bible goes right through the story. They were children of Abraham. Abraham, the one that received the promise, all the nations will be blessed. That's where we go back. We're, we're following through that promise. That's where we come from. Also, they could say this, we were slaves for a season. That's part of their history. When Joseph was the deliverer of Egypt as a nation, as a family originally, they moved down into Egypt and there they grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. But as they grew within Egypt, we see that the Pharaoh became very concerned about this nation that was growing within his nation and he turned against them. Although he welcomed them in at the first because Joseph was the deliverer of Egypt. He solved their problem. They were welcomed in, but gradually as they grew, they became hostile, more and more hostile to them and turned them into slaves. Ultimately, God did a phenomenal thing. And through Moses, we find deliverance came to them. And the deliverance came this way. God said, I'm going to judge Egypt I'm going to sweep through the nation. And there comes what we read in the Bible is called the Passover, which has always been celebrated by the Jewish nation ever since, that on that night, God acted in judgment. He said, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every family. Now, that wasn't the first thing he said. That was the last thing, because he said the many, many things to which they refused and resisted. The Egyptians would not take the warnings that were given. There were all kinds of plagues and warnings, and they kept resisting them. They just hardened their hearts. They said, no, no, we're still going to refuse to let them go. We're still going to keep them slaves. We're going to beat them. We're going to uh, make them suffer. And God said, right, the last, the last one will be this. The firstborn in every home will die. And that terrible night, there would have been cries through the whole of Egypt, as in every home, every household, a child died. But the Israelites were told this. Each family, take a lamb, kill the lamb, and put the blood over the house, over the door frame, 
And God said this, when I come through in judgment, when I see blood, I will pass over you. You won't get caught up. You won't be judged. It's like the lamb gets judged in your place. The lamb dies, but you live. And in that moment, there was a teaching that came through the Bible. It gets repeated again and again and again that a substitute lamb dies and you go free. And so the Passover was always celebrated remembering this amazing day when in every household there was pain and sadness. These households were free because the lamb died in their place. And these people could say, who, who are you? Well, we're a people. Well, we go back to a promise that somehow in us there's going to be blessing for the whole world. Somehow we're, there's a terrific destiny in us as a people. We're going to bless the whole world, but we got caught in this terrible mess. We became slaves and God judged and a lamb stood in our place. A lamb died that we might go free. When God says, when I see the lamb... I'll pass over you. When I see the blood that's shed, then judgment's passed for you. And even into the New Testament, Jesus is introduced this way. When Jesus first comes on the scene, John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Lamb who's going to die. Jesus didn't get hounded to death. Jesus didn't lose the plot and suddenly just get slaughtered. He said, I came to lay down my life. No man takes it from me. He was crucified on the very day of the Passover. And the Bible calls him our Passover. He's the one who shared his blood. We go free. And the church is a lot of people who are saying, thank you, Jesus, we go free. Thank you, we've been forgiven. We're not saying we come here because we're good. We're not coming saying we're religious. We're not, so the message isn't, hey, you need to get religious. The message is this, you can know freedom and forgiveness because a lamb has died in your place. A lamb was slaughtered. Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. And there he took our guilt. He substituted for us. That's the message. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus took our place. The lamb has died. We go free. We've got a lot in common with these guys. They say, hey, we didn't die. We walked away because God was satisfied with the lamb that died in our place. So here we are. Who are we? Well, we're people who've been, we come through that promise of Abraham. The lamb has died in our place. And then also, we were actually freed from the slavery we were in. You see, these people knew what it was to have their sins forgiven on that Passover night. Then, as they try to go on their way, the Red Sea's blocking their way. It's impossible. It needed another miracle to actually deliver them out from the slavery they were in. And the Bible talks about this army that pursued them, and Moses and the people of Israel could go out through the Red Sea supernaturally, and their slave owners could not get through. They were overcome. And this is the wonderful testimony of Christians, that things that used to hold them in slavery... Many of us could just stand up here and say, I used to be in slavery to this. I used to be in slavery to that. I thought, how can I ever get out? Some of us to anxiety. Some of us to terrible uncleanness. Some of us to drugs. All sorts of things. You thought, I'll never be able to get out of this. Jesus set us free. Jesus did a miracle. Jesus did an incredible miracle. Things that we thought were far too difficult. I know when I first became a Christian, having never heard the gospel before in my late teens, I thought, but how will I be able to keep it up? How can I change my lifestyle? How can I find myself free from things that seem to have control over me? 
Jesus broke the power. Jesus brought us out. Jesus rescued us. He changed us from the inside. Now, these Old Testament stories are their actual physical things. For us in the New Testament, it's a spiritual reality. He sets us free. He changes your motivations from the inside. He changes your preferences, your perspectives. He does an amazing thing on us. He sets us free. And so these people, they could say, hey, we were slaves, but we're not anymore. We were just as guilty as the Egyptians. We were terrible sinners, but a lamb died in our place. Hallelujah. We thank God Jesus died in our place. We've been set free. And the next thing that happens to them on their journey is they come to Mount Sinai, where God manifests his presence to them. They arrive at this place, and they gather some two million people around this mountain, and out of the mountain, God speaks as thunder and lightning, and God says to them, you're my people. I've chosen you. I'm going to be with you. I'm committing myself to you. It's an amazing time. It's a time where God draws quite very close to a people. He says, I'm going to go with you. There's a, a glory cloud moves with them. And again, we can say, hey, come with us. We'll do you good. I want you to know this. We know God in our lives. We met with God. We're not just learning religion. We're experiencing the wonder of God's presence, God's commitment, God's involvement in our families, God answering our prayers, demonstrating his commitment to us. So, yes, this is who we are. Who are you or these are who we are? That's the kind of way Moses could answer. It's the kind of way we can answer too. God's shown mercy to us. God wants to invite others to join on this journey. Come with us. Well, this is who we are. And secondly, I think I'd ask this. If someone said, hey, come with us, I think I'd say, where are you going? I'm pretty obvious, isn't it, really? Well, where, where are you going? What's the journey about? Well, it's interesting that when, when they came through the Red Sea, you'll find that Moses sang a kind of prophetic song. He began to sing. He's just amazed. God, you've delivered us. You've set us free. And you get in Exodus 15, this wonderful, it's almost like Psalm 1. It's a great song of worship and thanksgiving and praise. And it begins to be very prophetic because it says, you will take us into the land. Where are you going? We're going into the land. We're going to have an inheritance. We slaves who own nothing, we're going to go into a land. And it speaks about a land of milk and honey, a, man, a land flowing, a land where God's presence will be. Of course, this is all figurative, really. There's going to be an inheritance. Now, for the Jewish people, it was actual turf. It was actual territory. But for us, it's saying more than that. In fact, it was even saying more than that to the Israelites. Because God promised Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just you'll have a strip of territory in the Middle East. All the ends of the earth. You're going to bless all the families. So the vision was always bigger than just a little territory. It was always more than that. It's interesting even to notice, it says in Numbers 13, when they came to the land and, and, and they sent in spies to look at it, and the spies came back and said, oh, it's pretty difficult to take that land. I mean, the cities walled up to heaven. It looks very difficult land. And, and instead of going in, they turned back. They didn't take God's word seriously. They, they turned away from the promise that was being made to them. And it says this, God was really furious with them. And it says, as sure as I live, it doesn't say you will go into the land. 
It says, as sure as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So taking the land was just one more step towards the whole earth being reached. It was always God's plan to fill the whole earth with his glory. It was always God's plan to tell the good news to all the world that death had been conquered, that the kingdom's breaking out. It was always God's plan. And so you'll find in the Psalms, when God speaks to them in Psalm 2, ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. So God's promise really to Abraham and to these people, there's a great inheritance. First of all, seeing, yes, okay, it's this land of Canaan, but the purpose of God is there's an inheritance among the nations. Go and take territory for me. Go in my name. Take territory. Go. And Jesus said, taking up the same language, now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. Go in my name. Go in my name. God wants the world filled with the knowledge of his mercy, his glory, his salvation. So we're on a journey, which is a journey of good news, it's a journey that goes to the nations and says, come with us. We'll do you good. Come with us. God's called us to the nations. Next week I go with Wendy to Dubai. There's a new Frontiers Church in Dubai. And Dubai is an unusual nation. It's only got 20% of its population are locals. 80% are from other nations. And they come hoping to earn money. And uh, if they've got a job, they can stay. If they lose their job, they have to leave. And uh, over the years, we've had church there, some years now. And there was a guy there once from Pakistan called Pervez Sahail. And uh, he was there. And while he was there, he became a Christian. And then he went back to Pakistan and started a church. And from that church, they started another church. And now he's working with about six or seven churches in Pakistan, out from that one that went in Dubai. And there's a guy called Robin from Kerala in South India. He became a Christian there with his wife, Rani. And they went back to Kerala in South India. They've started a church. They've got about four or 500 people in the church they started. They became Christians in Dubai. There's a guy called Eden and his wife, Faye. They got converted in Dubai. They've gone back to Manila. They've started a church in Manila. So this good news goes from one to another. Come with us. We'll do you good. Come with us. Come with us. And they catch the message and they go. And they start telling. And they start sharing what God is giving, what God wants. He's inviting other people to join the journey. So come with us into the inheritance. Come into what God has, which has got international significance. Come with us. Come with us from Skanes Hill into Burgess Hill, into Kenya, into Bulgaria. Into There's a journey, beloved, that we are on here that's going to touch the nations. And we're saying, come with us. Come with us. We want to bless the nations. We want to give sight to the blind. We want to go with good news. We want to teach people how to build proper family. We want to build a church that will change their destiny, change the way they are. And that takes us to the next thing. It says, Moses says, come into the land, Exodus 17, 15 rather, verse 17. And then it says, into the mountain that's like the city of God. So first it's territory, then it's community. Come into the city. The Bible says a lot about the city of God. 
And it's talking about people in community. You'll find it's called Zion. It's called the joy of the whole earth. And so the Bible speaks a lot about this community of people. There's people who are all joined together. They're kind of members of one another. And God wants what he describes as this city, and it says there's a river that makes glad this city of God, this river of his presence, which transforms a community of lonely, straggling people into a community of love and care and kindness, a family. That's what God did in the Old Testament. That's what God is doing today. That we are helping people find their way into, not just knowing God, but into a family where we can love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, come alongside one another, encourage, stand by in pressure and pain in very practical ways, the city of God. In fact, the city of God becomes one of the great themes of the Bible. Until right at the very end of the Bible, we find that it says, so the city of God is coming down out of heaven like a bride prepared. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It's the people of God living in community, living in love, living as a body, a people joined together. In fact, someone has said the Bible is almost like the tale of two cities. And if you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you get these two cities. So the city of Babylon, which is called that great city, is in the previous chapter before Abraham comes on the scene. God says, now go, fill the nations. And the people say, no, no, Babylon is going to be a city. We're going to build a great big tower to heaven. We're going to get a name for ourselves. And they refuse to go. They, they become self-centered, independent, and God scatters it. But you'll find that Babylon it runs right through the Bible until the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, where it says that great city with wealth and independence, self-sufficient, and then you get this other city, the pure, holy city coming down out of heaven for God. It's like an alternative society. It's a society that becomes more and more self-centered, more and more independent from God, more and more self-sufficient. And then there's this other city, this city, this alternative society, this city that God's creating. That It's like come into this city. Come out of that city into this city. In fact, it says in one place, of millions in the valley of decision. Kind of, which city do you belong to? Are you in the city of independence of God? Or do you want to be part of the city that is built around God, His kindness, His favor, His ways? In fact, it's interesting, in the book of Acts, the very first gospel message, 3,000 people, it doesn't say were converted. It doesn't say they became Christians. It says they were added. 3,000 were added to this community, became part of this community. So God is building an alternative society, another community in every nation, every tribe, every time. He's calling people to be part of his people, be part of his city. Come into this city. And then the third thing Moses says in that passage is, the sanctuary of God. There's going to be a land. It's going to build a community. And in the midst of that, God will be worshipped. And God's presence will be phenomenally known. You'll build a temple. You'll be a place where the presence of God is experienced, enjoyed. 
and where his glory dwells amongst us. We really know what it is to have God in our lives, in our homes, amongst us. The dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So in the New Testament, we say we are, we are the temple of God. We together become his dwelling place. He himself uh, dwelling with us, he amongst us, the sanctuary of God. So we're going into the land, into all the earth to preach the gospel. What a built community of people who love and care and, and build church like Edward there in Kenya, building a community. He goes out week after week preaching, seeing people stepping out of one community into another, builds them together, cares for them. We can reach our arm out to save and help. And God's communities were being built all over the world. And in the midst of that, we become worshippers. We become celebrators of the love of God. Come and join us in this, he's saying. And then last of all, the last question I'd ask is this. What happens if I join you? What happens to me? Where do I fit? Who are you asking me? We've answered that. Where are you going? We've answered that. Thirdly, what happens to those who join? It's interesting what he says. Because first of all, he says, no, I don't think I will. Did you notice that in the reading? Will you come with us? No, I don't think I will. Then he says to him, whatever God does for us, the good that God's promised us, you will be included in. You'll be part of this great adventure. You get to be part of it. And then also he says this to him, you know where, verse 31, you know where we should camp. You know the territory. You can be as eyes for us. I think it's ever so interesting. It's not come and join us, get on the end of the line. You know, it's a long line. You, you're the latest guy to start. You just get on the end of the line. No, come with us. We recognize you have something to contribute. You know the territory. Now, don't think you're going to take over. We're following the cloud. But you have got gifting. You've got a contribution you can make. You can be as eyes for us. You know the territory. You know when the cloud stops, you know the best place for us to set up camp. Your contribution will be really recognized and prized and valued, and you'll be part of us. Now, that's very New Testament. The New Testament talks about us being a body, so joined to one another, like hands and feet and eyes and ears, that we are really one body together. And that when we come in, we have a part to play. And you'll find in the church like this, there's all sorts of ministries that are coming through. Wendy and I have only been here a couple of months, but we keep hearing about another ministry for the homeless, another ministry in connection with cars, another ministry with this, another ministry with that. And you find there's all sorts of gifts and contributions, people finding what they can bring that enlarge the family, that, that give the family all kinds of color, all kinds of diversity, all kinds of, hey, I can fulfill my destiny, my longing to serve God and have relevance on the earth as part of a body, part of a community. It's not just me on my own, but what I feel I'd love to do. So we hear our dear friends who've just been up to Kenya with all that motivation, all that love, but because they're part of a body, because we're part of even an international body, it has meaning, significance. I can work it out. I can work out my compassion. I can work out my skill package. What I, can, I can bring that to the party. I can bring that to the game. I can enrich the whole body by what I am. And that's what, what God wants. It's like, come with us. Not so you get lost. Not so you get cloned. Not so that the things that you live for get crushed or ignored. You know, forget all that. Just learn. No, no, no. 
we come in and we bring our gift. We come in and we find what we can do. In fact, it begins to be our ongoing identity, being part of this new community God's raising up. It becomes so important to us and so much part of our life, it begins to make us feel, hey, this is what God put me here for. I'm kind of laying hold of that which God laid hold of me for. I have a role to play. I'm enriching the whole. So when our this sweet couple just came and gave their testimony, we all feel, ah, yes. We're all having a part to play in that because of their skill, their gift, their compassion, our links into Kenya. And, and that's very biblical, that the church is made up of all kinds of diversity. And you could say this. Maybe we're not fully joined until we've found what's the part we're meant to play. Maybe you're a small group leader. Maybe you're involved in the children's work. Maybe you're doing things during the week that this place is buzzing with life all week. So much being done by the various gifted things that are taking place. And even as we go to two congregations soon, we're going to say, come on, we're getting more people. What's your gift? What's your contribution? What are you going to do? What part are you having in this? Because we want to believe God that this whole work of his will grow and grow and become a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. If you live in Mid-Sussex, you're just going to hear about this place. You're going to hear about it from these people and these people. and these, but these people have helped us. These people are doing this. These people. It's just going to shine. It's a city. God wants a city set on a hill. God wants a people that you keep bumping into in the store, in the school, at the school gate, at the uh, surgery. At wh- wherever we are, we bump into people from, hey, from Kings. There are these people that are on the move in God. They've got plans. They're not just content to be religious. They've found something of excitement in God. And you come with us, you find your role, you find who you can be, you find the contribution you can make. You'll find people want to encourage you in your gift, stimulate that gift. One of the things we're told is to seek spiritual gifts, that there'll be more and more gifts and abilities that grow in us. And a a maturing church will be a people with more and more gifts amongst us. So this guy is welcomed in, He's given a role, and God wonderfully blesses the invitation. Come with us, come with us. I guess I would ask maybe one more question. Why are you so confident? It sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? First time I ever saw this verse was on the side of a church, this Bible verse. I saw it on the side of a church in Bracknell. It said, come with us, we'll do you good. I thought, that sounds a bit arrogant. You know, who do you think you are? Seems a bit like that, doesn't it? Come with us. Why are you so confident? Well, I think Moses could say, we're so confident because it's God who began it. And God said this, the thing I begin, I will complete. God's involved. God initiated it. And for those of us who say, well, I already know Jesus as my personal Savior, you know it was God who kind of suddenly woke you up. You know, you weren't interested in Christianity. You weren't seeking God. I wasn't seeking God. Someone came to me and began to speak to me. And you suddenly realized, hey, God, God's after me. You feel God's after you? I don't know. I met this guy. I met this girl. I felt, is there another? Yeah, yeah. When you feel God began it, it says God will bring it to completion. God will bring it to its ultimate conclusion. And of course, for us, it's not just land and territory. It's not just a city. It's, it's eternal life. 
It's the certainty that God has dealt with our guilt, our shame, things that have been done to us. Some of us, some of us are very aware that we're guilty. Some of us are ashamed because of things that have been done to us. We carry guilt. We carry shame. But when you understand the Passover blood, that the lamb died in my place, my guilt's gone. Not because of anything I did. Not because I turned religious. But I suddenly understood what Jesus is all about. That's what happened to me when my sister came and spoke to me. She said, you can know Jesus. He's alive. Huh? He's alive? Yeah, you can know all your sins are forgiven. I said, can you really know that? Well, that's the message. Come and be forgiven. Come and accept forgiveness. That a lamb died in your place, a perfect, spotless. A man who lived a life that was totally innocent. He said, who of you can find fault with me? No one could. He said, Satan's coming against me. He's got nothing on me. He lived the innocent, spotless, perfect life. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the, as they were taught in the Old Testament, when you bring your lamb, it must be a perfect one. It's got to be without blemish. It's got to be a perfect lamb. I won't accept it if it's not perfect. It had to be a perfect lamb. And it was all pointing forward to this perfect one. That Jesus, who would live the spotless life, he would never sin, and yet on the cross would bear our guilt, our shame, and you can know your sins are forgiven. And to know that, to understand that, it's done. It's a finished done. And then to know you have eternal life. To know it's finished. To know it's, it's done. Wendy and I have just gone through this. This, this lady, this is my sister who told me years ago, you can have eternal life. You can know it. We were with her last Monday when she went into glory. She stepped in. And we're not thinking, oh dear, she's lost. We're thinking, hey, she stepped into it. She stepped into glory. The things she told me about, she's now enjoying. She's passed from death to life. Death is swallowed up by life. It's not that we are swallowed up by death. It's that death is swallowed up by life. And if you want to know Jesus, you can know that certainty of sins forgiven. Maybe you're coming on the Alpha at the moment, inquiring. That's so good. We want to say to you, come with us. We'll do you good. We're about a great journey. Come and join us on the journey. Come with what gifts God's given you. Come find your place. God has promised us good. That's what Moses said. God's promise is good. You'll be part of it. And you can be eyes for us. Who knows what God's got for you? What part you can play? I want to encourage us. Let's get caught up. Let's be a body on the move. Many, many different parts playing our part. Fulfilling God's great plan. Building a city so unlike the city that's falling apart all around us. So sad what's happening in the culture getting so confused, so lost, so many tragedies, so many heartbreaks, and say to people, come out of that broken city into this one, that God will be glorified and your life be utterly fulfilled. Let's just bow to pray. It'd be great if the band would come up, please. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you come to us and welcome us. Thank you, you invite us into your world, Lord. We're so grateful that, Lord, you sweep aside all our misgivings. You sweep aside 
our objections. And you say, come. You say, come. Lord Jesus, we so much want to respond to your voice. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We say, Lord, won't you draw us? Won't you draw us into your courts? I'd love to pray for any here this morning that just say, I, I just want to, I want to get in. I want to be counted in. Maybe you've been drifting around. Maybe you're Christian or maybe you say, well, when I was years ago, I, I thought I was interested, but I've, I've drifted away. I'd love to be certain. I'd love to be part of the family. Or maybe for the first time you're thinking, maybe I should be part of this. Maybe I should be caught up on this journey. I'd just love to pray for you. So while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'd just love to pray. If you, if you say, would you pray for me, please? You just put your hand up high and I'll pray for you right now. Okay, would you do that? That's right, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's great. Let's just ask God. Just going to ask God. Father, thank you so much that you not only see hands raised, you see hearts that are open to you. And Lord, Lord we, we see this man at first saying, no, no, I'm not coming. And then we see Moses saying, oh, please come. Uh, and he is one. He, he becomes part of the journey. Father, I want to ask you for everyone that you're calling. Lord, I ask you that you will bring us home, bring us on your journey. Set us free, Lord. Give us the courage to leave the things that will pull us back to get into what you have for us, Father. Lord Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Let your truth do us good, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.